Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com. Download a free audiobook of your choice today at audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. James Fox was here, I don't know, about a year or so ago, talking about his great documentary, Out of the Blue. It was a fifth anniversary edition, which I have to tell you that David and I simply loved. Adore it. He's been a busy bee since then. He was working with, well, I'll tell you what, rather than me tell what was going on, James, welcome aboard for your second appearance. We appreciate you coming back. But tell us, in the wake of the preparation of the first documentary, what happened then? Well, I'll give you a quick snapshot. And essentially what happened was I finished an earlier version of Out of the Blue in, in 2003, as you probably well know, sold it. It did fairly well. It's on Universal, actually, Sci-Fi broadcast it. It got some decent coverage, um, relatively decent exposure. Uh, never quite took off with the uh, home video DVD sales. There's a number of reasons for that, but uh, long story short, it didn't happen. Fast forward a couple of years, I get a letter from Universal saying that they're not going to renew their broadcast option, which I didn't expect them to do anyway. But it planted a seed to uh, sort of revamp out of the blue and uh, sort of new burst of energy to kind of do some of the things I always wanted to do with it, and I ran out of steam in 2003. Uh, so I made a list, 10 major items that I really wanted to, to focus in on, one of which was the uh, why the governor did what he did uh, in Arizona in 1997 by making a mockery out of uh, his constituents. He dressed one of his aides up in the alien suit. Everyone knows the story on that. Mm-hmm. And then the 10th person, of course, uh, was Clinton, because I know that uh, President Bill Clinton had made inquiries certainly according to uh, a number of documents as well as a book by Webb Hubble called Friends in High Places where he mentions uh, two things that Clinton wanted answers to at the beginning of his administration was one, are UFOs real? And second, uh, who, who killed JFK? Uh, oh, I was also revamping, uh, revisiting Bent Waters, expanding a little on that. I had a really difficult time getting all the uh, key players that were involved with that incident in 1980 uh, and once again ran out of steam in 2003 but, but revisited it a couple years later. So I did all these, I did nine out of the ten interviews and uh, spent roughly a year uh, re-editing, filming, re-editing, restructuring. By the way, it's never been officially released. I got some media coverage because of the story I broke with, with Fife Symington. Uh, quite a bit of coverage, actually. Um, number of CNN appearances, that, that sort of thing. And I thought, okay, I'll just, uh, you know, uh, get distribution for the new version of Out of the Blue and wipe my hands clean of it and, and walk away. But I got uh, sort of high-level very mainstream uh, agent who took a look at it and said, gosh, you know, this is a great piece of work, but we think you could do a lot better than this, um, possibly put something like this in theaters. So I thought, okay, well, what's gonna, wh- what are we going to need to do to do that? <laughs> and they gave me another list of things to do. That uh, Hollywood seems to have a penchant for giving people lists of things to do. I know, you know, we're trying to do something that's never been done, and that's to, to, to penetrate a, a very, very large mainstream audience with this subject matter, which is extremely challenging. And, and in order to do that, I've always felt that we've, uh, you know, we've had to maintain, a, you know, sort of high-level production values as well as a, a rather conservative position on the phenomenon uh, because we are dealing with uh, most of the, of the viewers, potential viewers, are com- totally unfamiliar with, with the subject. So that was a set of challenges that we had, and so that 
uh, at the same time, this, this media attention was going on, and, and uh, there was some discussion of, of completely restructuring and reshooting out of the blue once again. And by the way, my two co-producers, uh, uh, were, were, I pushed them so hard uh, just to make the, the, the five-year anniversary edition uh, complete. Uh, it took a lot of work. Uh, that, that, but at this point, when we got this news back, they, they were done. So I had to buy them out, and, and that's a whole story in itself, and, and raise additional funds and uh, set out and do another you know, 18 months of, of production for the new piece. At the same time, uh, one of my uh, dreams was to do this you know, National Press Club event uh, on a big scale. And I know that it had been done in 2001 with Dr. Stephen Greer, but I, I felt uh, I wanted to, to do it uh, slightly differently focus primarily on, on uh, sort of very un- unambiguous sightings and, and not talking about uh, weaponization of space or alien beings or anything like that. Just, like I said, once again, maintaining a very, very conservative uh, position on the whole thing. Also a narrow focus, don't get into the side issues. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, we, we, pulled, we pulled that off. We did the National Press Club event, which got some reasonable coverage, uh, national and international coverage. Uh, it went off quite well. And I uh, thought of incorporating, because, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to have all those witnesses, and some of which we flew in from Iran. I mean, Jafari, and that took three months just to get a visa. Mm-hmm. And people from France and, and South America, a number of countries in South America, uh, England, a number of few around the States. Anyway, I had them all together in Washington, D.C. for about four or five days. So I, I hired an, uh, a camera crew, HD with, with uh, professional, you know, audio guys, and and I documented uh, as much as I could one-on-one interviews as well as group interviews with with all hmm. these uh, with all these people because it was just a great opportunity, and I thought, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, to make sure that we took advantage of it as well as the event itself was documented in high def. So I took those elements and started to incorporate them into Out of the Blue. And tell me if I'm boring you guys to death with this. No, no, no. Please continue. <laughs> every, every. Well, you know, everybody wants to know, James, and and I know a number of our listeners have really been chomping at the bit to buy it. It's almost like I don't want to talk about the fact that we have that special edition you sent to both of us because I don't want our listeners to turn on us. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and the frustrating thing was is that I was contacted during that time, uh, and still am being contacted by distributors for Out of the Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've had to turn them all down because the, my agent and a number of other people that I'm involved with, uh, by by the way, don't don't deal with the UFO subject matter at all ever. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just the fact that we're in that a whole new arena. Uh, I, I felt that if I didn't want to jeopardize any potential chances of of, of getting uh, much bigger. And when I say big distribution, I mean putting it in, in theaters. So I had to hold out. Uh, because Out of the Blue is going to have some content, uh, similar content that the Beyond the Blue has. And Beyond the Blue, by the way, is just a working title. So I started to incorporate uh, this material into the new version and uh, became apparent that we were going to have to do some follow-up interviews because, you know, some of the cases we wanted to expand on, and we had to kind of go to the location where it occurred, the sighting occurred, uh, to do that. Uh, you know, speak with some additional witnesses, uh, you know, get B-roll, all that sort of thing. So I I uh, took off for a couple of months with a, with a camera crew. We went to a number of different countries. We expanded on uh, the Cometa report, uh, met with uh, General Letty in Paris, talked with him uh, at length about the um, one of their, uh, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, you know, their conclusions. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, as well, during this time, you know, France had just released their UFO files, and so we wanted to go find out right. who was responsible for that. And that was uh, a wing, an investigative wing of uh, CNES, which is the French equivalent of NASA. Jepon, I think, is what they how they pronounce it. Uh, but anyway, Jacques Patnay granted us an interview at CNES, which was we had to jump through a bunch of hoops just for that. Uh, and talks about you know why they did what they did by releasing the, the, the French files what they were trying to accomplish, what uh, some of the content of the, uh, you know, I think it was like 50 years of investigations in France, uh, landing case traces and stuff like that, photographs. So it was amazing, you know, and and, 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 it, and it just kept kind of expanding like that. I mean, it, the, the whole uh, film kept growing. Uh, it required more time, more money, but I thought, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this all the way through, and if it takes an extra year, so be it. I went back to uh, England. I revisited uh, uh, to the Bentwaters case and, and England's releasing their files. And so um, that required, and I went to uh, Guernsey, uh, Ray Bowyer uh, and his passengers, met with them. That sighting happened in 2007 on the Channel Islands. And I went back to Texas a number of, a number of occasions at the Stephenville, Texas case. I've been back there three or four times. Some of the witnesses I, I managed to get my uh, interviews with were somewhat reluctant initially, but then there was, uh, they were been harassed by military and whatnot. So this all took time. And um, about a week ago, we finished what we feel uh, is, a, is a really good rough cut of the film. Uh, I, got a, I, I don't want to give his name out over the radio, uh, or at all, actually, should I say. But I've got someone who's uh, very, very high up uh, in the industry, once again, not dealing with UFOs at all. Get very interested, and he's representing us, and uh, he thinks there's a very good chance that we could get the distribution that we've been talking about, theatrical. Um, and so that's, that's happening right now. We've had very positive uh, feedback, although we do know that, that the film needs probably, um, you know, another six or eight weeks of online polishing. Some additional photographic evidence and, and some and some additional B-roll, but o- overall the, the the fundamentals are all there. That's pretty much what's happening right now, and it's it's taken uh, as long as it's taken. But we've been working seven days a week uh, around the clock. I think one pe- one, one thing thing people should know should about know. movies is that it's not something you just shoot it and you edit it and you release it. When you do something like this, where it's made up of lots and lots of pieces of film. The job of editing, piecing it together, making it into a coherent presentation is very time-consuming. But before we waste time on anything... Hey, neighbors. As we said, this episode of the PowerCast is being brought to you by Audible.com. And you can download a free audiobook of your choice. And you can select from over 40,000 audiobooks and lots, lots more featuring bestsellers about the paranormal, about UFOs, novels. You pick it, and when you get the book that you want, just download to your Apple iPod or over 400 other devices. All right? You can download your free audiobook today, today at audiblepodcast.com slash paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash paracast. This offer only good for USA listeners. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and Dana. 
Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. We're talking to James Fox. He produced, of course, one of the producers of Out of the Blue, and this is what we're talking about now. I guess a sequel, a successor, an enhancement, what? I know. That's a good question. <laughs> or all um, of the above. That's why I kind of explained it from the get-go, because it's, it's sort of the evolution of, of the whole thing. And people often ask me, well, how long did it take you to do this new film? And I'm like, well, really, 10, 15 years, because <laughs> the result of, of, of this uh, production is, is uh, 15 years of work. Some of the material in it is uh, archived material that I shot uh, in the 90s. You know, people that are no longer with us. And so uh, a lot of it, uh, most of it is on uh, HD with, with high, you know, production levels or, you know, quality. Mm-hmm. Good audio and that sort of thing, all shot on HD, 16.9 widescreen. But obviously the archive stuff is archive stuff. Nothing I can do about that. And um, and oh, another thing is, is that uh, I really had to sort of step back and put myself in the shoes of of, of uh, Joe Public, who's completely unfamiliar with the phenomenon, and 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 address the issues. Because remember, we're not trying to create a body of work that's going to just preach to the choir, and address the issues that I felt, uh, we felt, were going to be raised in mainstream. You know, why the secrecy? How the secrecy? How, how, how do we know it's not all terrestrial activity? Um, you know, the flight characteristics. What differentiates a real bona fide UFO from? Uh, and I say UFO is a truly unidentified flying object which remains unidentified after being scrutinized and analysis, that sort of thing, from a conventional aircraft or misidentification. So I address all those issues, and I uh, worked with some of the best people, Richard Hall. Um, we hired him to put a list of some of the most highly scrutinized uh, video and photographic evidence, you know, stuff that obviously, uh, you know, the Rex Heflin and the, and the Trinidad and the Paul Trent, McMinnville, Oregon stuff that's been scrutinized. Embedded. Absolutely. And I figured yeah. that, uh, you know, the old ar- argument that's always used, well, why are, are there any high-res photographs ever taken? Well, actually, there have been and for quite yeah. some time. We got a hold of uh, an archive interview with Dr. Jalen Hynek uh, that was done in 79, sat in uh, the archive, God, almost 30 years. Um, we, and we got it out and we had it transferred from the old format that it was on. There's a whole story behind that, <laughs> and incorporated that, and we did a snapshot history of, of, of government policy, Air Force policy, when it changed, why it changed. Like I said, we're just trying to um, really make this palatable to uh, a wide uh, mainstream audience, and I think that uh, I think we're almost there. Looking at the material that you assembled for the first film, and looking at it in retrospect, and now that you're doing this successor replacement, whatever it might be. Did you find some material that, you know, maybe this isn't as strong as we thought originally, and it really can't be used? What is your sense about that? Absolutely. A lot of the cases that, God, almost all of them, not all of them, but most of the cases that I focus on and with Beyond the Blue, once again, knowing that if it does get a wide stream distribution or mainstream distribution on a big level, we're going to be under scrutiny. And so I uh, weeded out any uh, of the cases I felt were weak or susceptible to, uh, you know, that would fall apart under closer scrutiny. I mean, I, I didn't want to take any chances with that. So, so most of the cases, for instance, have been looked into at the, uh, you know, the Condon Committee and, and the Cometa Group and um, some of the really well-known, very unambiguous cases that have happened over the last, you know, four or five, six, six decades. And so those are the cases that we, we, we hone in on. 
James, in Out of the Blue, um, for me, one of the absolute smoking gun pieces of testimonial is from Gordon Cooper. It, in many ways, I think it is, uh, you know, it's one of those things where when people say, well, you know, show us someone credible who's reported seeing a UFO on, on video, you know, show us someone real to hear the Gordon Cooper dis- description of watching this craft land that they were filming it, that he verifies that they captured real hard evidence. And the way he tells the story, um, and the time frame in which it happened, it's, it's clear that it's not one of ours. And he makes that, that statement very strongly. So, uh, is there, is there a smoking gun testimonial like that in your new documentary that has the same kind of power to it? By the it? way, I put that, I restructured that and I put that in the piece. But it's important, I think, for the viewer to know that, uh, you know, the Capitol building being buzzed in 52 and General John Sanford coming out and giving the statements that he did back in 52. Mm-hmm. You know, so to, when you hear the Gordon Cooper story out of context, uh, and I'm talking about people that are unfamiliar with, with this case, right. uh, it seems incredible. I mean, almost unbelievably incredible. But, you know, once the way we put, we put him in towards about three quarters of the way through the film, and the viewer's already seen, uh, the photographic evidence of the 50s, and they've learned about the buzzing of the Capitol building in 52, and they've heard extensive, uh, Remarks uh, interview with with Dr. Jalen Hynek, uh, who I feel is one of the most credible people out there, uh, having been with the Air Force for as long as 22 years investigating this stuff. Uh, so once I think the viewer has seen all that evidence, I think that the Gordon Cooper is even stronger now than it ever was before because you know you've got the buzzing of the Capitol building, but then you've got also a landing case that happened. Yeah, oh, it's just incredible. Let's so answer your question, you know. You know, even if we did have, what is a smoking gun, you know, because hmm. a lot of people, you know, if we have uh, multiple testimony along with photographic evidence that's been scientifically vetted, they'll say, well, you know, that picture has to have been faked and these people must be lying because if they weren't, it would mean that UFOs are real. And uh, so I look at it more as a preponderance, the, the cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that a number of, of people that have seen this this film, and I, and I haven't shown it to any, I don't want to say, uh, UFO buffs. Or most of the people that I've been showing it to haven't had a clue about any of this stuff. And the remarks I've gotten from them is, my God, I, I can't believe this has been going on, and we haven't we have we know about this. And I say, well, why? Is there any one particular case in the film that that impresses you? And they say, well, not really. It's it's the 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 the, the cumulative effect. Right. You know, these guys are, are uh, unassailable witnesses, and the, the seriousness and, and uh, their credibility factor is is, um, is extremely impressive. And so I think that, more than anything else, is, is gonna want, it's what's going to separate this film from, from, from the rest. Not a smoking gun, then, but a smoking armory. Well, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, I think that uh, a lot of, most of the cases are smoking gun. You know, you've got uh, visual, you've got radar. Some photographic. Uh, you've got landing case traces. You, we've got. Uh, I actually met with a uh, uh, mathematician and uh, missile uh, uh, propulsion physicist, symbolicist, I guess you'd say, who uh, for the first time breaks down the symbols that uh, Peniston reportedly had taken. On bedwaters, yeah, yeah, from the craft, yeah, from the craft, yeah. And that's truly amazing. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing what this guy comes up with, uh, the analysis that he does, and it's all from 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 mathematics. I mean, one of the things they've always said is that if if you know the only universal language is math, 
Mm -hmm. So, if, I mean, that's you know, I'm not speaking from in the know myself, but that's what I've been told. So I thought, well, I'll take it to a top mathematician in London, and uh, it's it's remarkable. I mean, and some people have said, my God, I thought that was a smoking gun. Other people say, wow, that photograph that was in 1950, that's a smoking gun. Multiple witnesses, uh, right. crystal clear and focused, broad daylight, points of reference. But um, I think, like I said once again, I, I really think it's it's the um, the level of credibility with the witnesses and 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 the repetitiveness of of, of their testimony. And it, uh, you know, we 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 keep addressing like here's the flight characteristics, the lack of sound, the ability to change uh, direction, uh, 90 degree angle turns at high speed. The witnesses from all walks of life, including military and civilian, talk about you know had I blinked, it would have just thought it disappeared in place. I mean, the acceleration and. The, all these flight characteristics is what we really keep hitting on over and over mm -hmm. and over the decades. And we also touch as well uh, briefly on um, Hudson Valley. Oh, really? Very large boomerang-shaped craft, yeah. I contacted right. uh, Philip and Brogno, uh, mm -hmm. who co-authored a book with Heineck about the case from the early 80s. Right, right. Yeah, Actually, and, uh, my, my girlfriend talked about, uh, she came on the show and talked about the fact that she had seen those craft as well in, in Westchester back mm -hmm. then. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We, we got some great photographic uh, evidence there. Philip and Bogdan provided me with a whole archive of archive of, archive of material, mm -hmm. which I I had to carefully assemble. Yeah, so it, it's got a, it's got a lot of really great uh, really great stuff. I think. Well, uh, well James, uh, let's go let let's go back to that analysis of the symbols that Peniston records seeing on the craft. So you, you teased us, but now you have to sort of tell us what what well, sort I, of was. I, I, I gotta, I'm, I'm gonna have to hold out on that one. <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a minute! You've got to tell us. You have no choice. You must I'll give tell you, us. I'll give you an example. I'll give you. Okay, I'll, I'll give right. you an example of one. All right. He, as a math, as a mathematician, he said that. Uh, I said, "Well, God, what what uh, did a did a light flick on when you saw these? Is, was there any?" And he said. He said, yeah, he was, uh, I got the, uh, distinct impression, um, within minutes of laying my eyes on a couple of these symbols, uh, that I had decoded them, uh, or deciphered them. Um, he said, I can't say definitively that's the case, but the feeling I had, uh, within minutes was, yeah, this is what's gotta be, and one of which was the Fibonacci sequence, which is a sequence, I guess, that occurs in nature, everywhere. So he sort of goes in a little bit to that. Um, really? Huh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so, but he says, you know, I don't think they were trying to send us a message about the nature of the universe. He, he felt it was sort of an identification stamp on the craft. But it's rather interesting as a surveillance vehicle. And he, and he talks about that and why hmm. he feels the way he does about it. Yeah, you've seen the symbols, right? Yeah, absolutely, because they're, they're in the documentary. You've got the rendering of them on the craft. Then also there's the section where Penniston is showing his little uh, notebook and he's written them out in there. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are the kind of things where when you heard the debunkers talking about, oh, it's a, it's a lighthouse light. It's like, what? Come on. You know, that's just, it's sort of ridiculous. And which of course brings us, James, to, uh, you know, asking you about your appearances on Larry King. You've been on more than, more than once, which is great. It, well, so, I mean, you know, how do you deal with someone like, uh, Shermer, um, you know, who's just sort of making fun of everything that's coming out of your mouth? There's a, I guess media protocol where they they feel like to in order to be uh, as Fox News would say fair and balanced, mm, uh, well. they have to have the opposing. Not viewpoint. quite what Fox means yeah. by fair and balanced. That's... Yeah, I'm not talking about what they are, <laughs> what they say they are. Right. It's kind of like those uh, communities that they they go in and and uh, you know they do very high density developments 
in what was used to be, you know, Oak Grove. <laughs> yeah. What it used to be. Let's <laughs> name the development what we destroyed to put it there. Yeah. Exactly. This is what we destroyed exactly. to give you this. Uh, uh, yeah. Something Meadows, right? <laughs> Golden Meadows. Uh. So, yeah. Uh, moving right along. But, um, yeah, what was the point I was just making? Well, well we're talking about Larry King and, and yeah, dealing okay, with... So, yeah. like, so, so yeah. they feel that they need to have the opposing viewpoint. And, and mind you, a lot of times uh, this is done sort of last minute. All right, who can we get on the show? They mm-hmm. haven't done any preparation whatsoever. They haven't. They don't know anything about the cases. They haven't looked at the, 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 the evidence. What they say is like, uh, it's just template nonsense, really. And um, quite honestly, when we're in the green room, there was quite a heated debate, I think, in July. I was there with Stanton Friedman in mm-hmm. the green room with uh, uh, Dr. Nye, the science guy. I mean, Oh, one God. Point, what no, movie was, was he in? I, I saw I him in they, a movie. I think they had to separate Stanton Friedman <laughs> and him. I mean, it was bad. I, I was like, yeah. wow, I think I'm ready to walk out of the room here. <laughs> he's just, Still, he's, I was like, he's don't bother me the evidence. You know, as, 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 yeah. as Stanton always says, don't, you know, he just uh, closed my ears and run my mouth. But then at the end... Bill and I was very curious, actually, funny enough, about a lot of the things. And and I don't like to give them the ammunition they're looking for, and that's when you start screaming E.T. But if you put the if you put the evidence on the table and you don't say what it is, you just say what it isn't, then you're left with really nowhere else to go. So that is what we've done with Beyond the Blue. And I think very effectively. I really do. Because that's one of the the things that I've noticed is that they all want to trample all over you. As soon as you mention, hey, this is, you know, we're being visited by ETs, which is very likely the case. But if you don't say that and you just put the evidence out there and then you say, look, you're going to call all these photographs bunk? Are you going to call all these witnesses liars? No, you can't do that. No one can do that. So do you think, though, James, and here's, you know, where we get into logical, um, quicksand do you think that it makes sense to come up with one theory of origin and say this is a blanket statement for the entire phenomenon does that ultimately make sense absolutely not no so because in my view and um the people that i've talked to it's all of the above right yeah, or none so. of the above, but I'm not going to get into that. Oh. <laughs> hey, before we get into more serious things here. Hey, neighbors. The easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time. Because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web, save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. 
Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession-slash-depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380, 800-715-4380, or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com, 1-800-715-4380. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to James Fox, producer of Out of the Blue, and we're calling the new film, what, Beyond the Blue? That's a working title, but I okay. think I'll change it, yeah. Okay. So it won't be Blue too. No. Ugh. No, here, well, here's the funny thing, uh, rather unfortunate, actually, because I love the title Out of the Blue, and it's kind of... Great, good reputation, and, and uh, it's, uh, it's known by a number of people. But if we wanted to put it in movie theaters, uh, it cannot have the title itself cannot have any history whatsoever, no matter how different the version is. So that's why I had to change the title. So now, wait a minute, James. It's, it sort of sounds like this is an extended, extended version of Out of the Blue. Um, I think people people are assuming it's an entirely new movie. So what's the the ratio? Of new uh, to probably new, new stuff, probably eighty percent. Okay, all right. It's pretty so this, different. Okay, yeah, that, that, but it does well, that's deal with a couple of similar cases, Phoenix and Bentwaters, but expanded on both. Like I reshot a whole slew of new witnesses for Phoenix, a whole bunch of new material for Phoenix documents. I'm trying to get some additional interviews as we speak, which if I get them, it's going to make big news. Uh, I'm working on it. I'm getting close. Hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm also working on footage. I, I've located uh, one possible source. Uh, it's just a matter of pinning the guy down and going through his, uh, you know, tenure archive in his attic. Uh, mm. He did take footage of the craft. He described it to me in detail, and it's definitely it. The craft is where he said it was at the time he said it was, and the description matches exactly what the witnesses described it as being. It's not the the flares at all. It's the actual craft. Well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, it's 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 become clear by having deep conversations about the Phoenix situation that we have, the quote-unquote Phoenix lights, the stuff that everybody's seen the footage of that is, in, in my opinion, a number of other people's opinions, very questionable. And it's a completely different thing than what everybody saw earlier in the evening. That, uh, that, it. It was a, and I yeah. think it was a deliberate effort to obfuscate the whole matter because, you know, the flight mm -hmm. path of the craft started up up the north. And correct me if I'm wrong, I know it went south, but uh, south, is it south? Let's see, would it be southeast? I think it was southeast, and it ended up over the Australia mountain range, the South Mountains. And it, oh, I think it was like, I don't know, about over an hour it took to cover the state of Arizona. It started off mm -hmm. in Henderson, Nevada, uh, earlier in the evening. And funny enough, you know, you get this massive boomerang-shaped craft. And remember, it had the ability on a number of occasions, it would hover to the point where, you know, the eyewitnesses thought the dang thing was going to land. Uh, and almost stationary. And then I also have witnesses describing, which I don't have in Out of the Blue, it taking off. Really? Um, yeah, and the speed at which it took off. So it, it was funny, you know, it, it was almost deliberately trying to be seen. And 
it would slow down over popul- highly populated areas uh, with a number of people standing outside looking up at it. Some of the witnesses I talked to, the kids were lying on their backs, waving at it, and they were expecting to see occupants. Um, massive, looked like a city in the air. I'm just telling you what I've, what I've been told. Right. And it ends up over the, in the direction of the Estrella Mountain Range, the South Mountains, I think around 8.45, 9-ish, something like this. And around 10 o'clock, you get uh, a flare drop from probably what's most likely these A-10 warthogs. I guess it's the Maryland National Guard dropping these uh, very uh, exotic flares in the shape of a V formation, which lasts approximately two and a half, three minutes. Um, so it's clearly, to me, uh, and that's all the video footage that you see, that is exactly what it is. It's, mm-hmm. They are flares, and they were dropped most likely from the Maryland National Guard, but they do not in any way explain the craft that covered over a 250-mile route uh, at all. So that's, that's, that's still a mystery. Now, in, in talking to the witnesses, James, uh, we, we had on a guy, Mike Portson, who was one of the uh, original witnesses of the large boomerang-shaped or triangular. Uh, yeah, him and his wife. Yeah. Now, I seem to remember Mike telling us that there was an emotional component to the sighting that, you know, beyond just being shocked by what they were seeing, that they almost sensed um, having a kind of an emotional sensation that they found to be unusual, almost like a sense Very of empathy. Calming. You know, I I talked to these hospice workers, Hmm. and it was about 8 o'clock, March 13th, and they were right at the the foothill of a, um, I think it was the mountain, name of the mountain range right there in Phoenix, I'll think of it in a second, actually, Squaw Peak, but they changed, the the mountain is no longer called Squaw Peak, it's called something different now, but Squaw Peak, and... All right, uh, it's named after someone who died in Iraq. Okay. All right. Okay. It's an Indian name, and I can't even begin to pronounce it. Gotcha. Okay, so in any case, uh, the governor, Pipe Symington, uh, right around 8 o'clock, right-ish, saw it and described it to me, and it was the craft uh, over Squaw Peak. And uh, fast forward, I don't know, eight months, I'm interviewing a uh, number of new witnesses, uh, hospice workers, and they said... uh, they were all outside having tea, discussing uh, the prognosis of the patient. And all of a sudden, they looked up, and it was like the sky blacked out. I mean, this massive craft flew very slowly and silently right over their heads. I said, my God, well, didn't you guys, like, run in, grab a camera, or, or do anything, or chase after it, or go up on the roof? Mm-hmm. I said, no, we didn't. We just continued having a cup of tea. We all looked at it completely with our mouths dropped. It passed overhead. It took a few minutes. And then we carried on. I said, what? <laughs> I mean, I can't, I couldn't imagine that 15 people would sit there and watch this thing pass over the head and not do anything about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And most of the witnesses basically, I mean, obviously it rocked people to the core, but, you know, I guess it's, I'm only speculating, but I, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's just, they have no place to put it. No, no place to process, no, 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 no how to, don't know how to process what they saw. Well, I think for a lot of people, James, they're afraid that if they run inside to get the camera and come back out, it'll be gone. I heard you know, that too, but I also heard from people saying, look, it was so huge, had I taken a photograph of it, it would be like me taking a photograph of your T-shirt from two inches away. Yeah. Yeah, so. plus it's at night, so how do you, you know, it, it's this whole idea, and people sort of forget about this, that, you know, it's hard to shoot something, for example, at night spontaneously and have it actually resolve. There's no. a number of, uh, a couple of cases where footage was reportedly taken and mm-hmm. 
I discussed this at length with Frances Barwood actually in 1999, and, and again recently. She was in contact with a guy named something Curtis. I'm trying to think of his first name, but he was a Vietnam vet sitting on his roof, and he had um, scanners, and he'd listened to truckers' conversations, and he'd heard them on I-10, seeing this craft, uh, talking about it. So he jumped up on his roof, and he was also taking photographs at the time, video footage of the Hellbob comet, and he had a tripod and everything uh-huh. else. Uh-huh. And he got footage apparently reportedly, of this craft flying directly over the top of him. Uh, he called Francis Barwood's office, councilwoman at the time, told her about this, and meanwhile, calls were flooding in from all over the state of Arizona as to, you know, what the heck it was that flew over. Uh, and he said, look, I've got this video footage. He described it to her, and uh, they made arrangements for him to drop it off at her office that day. And um, apparently two men, uh, and I know this sounds like highly conspiratorial, but I, I did investigate it in 99 and again. And I don't mention this in the movie at all because I can't prove it, but two men from claiming to be from Francis Barwood's office dressed in suits, very hot afternoon, showed up at his house. He said Not black suits, suits, I hope. I don't know, dark suits, whatever, but in a government vehicle and, a, and his neighbors had cooperated this uh, story uh, and took the footage. Huh. Jeez. What is up with that? That is just wacky. Yeah, I know. So I'm actually in the process now of trying to reach this guy. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm considering uh, doing an interview with him about it, but uh, I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll see. Uh, There's also a a number of documents, uh, official uh, inquiries that were made as the origin of the craft from a number of high-level politicians, which I'm digging up now as well, that I'll probably put, I, I will put in the movie. And like I said, if I get this footage from this guy, it's, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm doing everything in my power to get to get my hands on it. Uh, that'll really, should make waves. One, one last thing, if I mention quickly, any, any listeners out there that have very uh, impressive footage, please do not hesitate to get in touch with me. And you can do so uh, at my website, although we have nothing available on our website anymore. But my contact information is there, and I would, would love to be, to be, uh, to be uh, notified if anybody does have stuff. What's the website again? Tell our listeners. Out, I'm sorry. Out of, I should have. <laughs> One small detail. Out of the blue, themovie.com. I'm also on Facebook, James Fox on Facebook. Excellent. You know, I, I'm going to make a request of you, James. Uh, put you on the spot here. You know, we're talking about that Gordon Cooper clip in Out of the Blue. Is, is that up on YouTube? Just that clip of him talking about that. Is that on YouTube by any chance? Might be. Might be. All right. I, I, yeah, I mean, I... I yeah, it very well might be, and I and I see clips of my material uh, all the time on YouTube, and I I never uh, I just leave it there. <laughs> I never argue about it. I'm I'm all for having this information out there. Well, um, I, I was going to ask if it's not up there, just just a clip of Gordon Cooper talking about that one experience. If it's not up there, do you mind if I put it up there? Hold out a, a, a little bit. All right. If it's not, but if it is, I'm not going to worry about it. But hold out a all little right. bit. Only reason why I say that is because it's being shopped right now, as okay. we speak. Right. Um, but notify me. I would not have a problem with that uh, in any other circumstance. I really wouldn't. It's just one of those clips that I think when people see it, they 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 put two and two together. It, it you know maybe by itself it's not anything definitive. I just think it's one of those it's very impressive. You know that was a turning point for my yeah. father. My father came with me to that interview. Really? And my father's a, a mainstream journalist. He's written for every publication on the stand newsstands, and uh, he desperately tried to uh, stop me from. Uh, my investigations into this uh, 15 years ago. He's like, son, you're wasting your time. There's nothing to it. But, you know, the whole family, actually my whole family did. Mm. And uh, finally I went alone without them. But that was a turning point for my father when I finally got an interview with, with Mer- uh, Mercury astronaut Gordon Cooper. My dad said, I, I really want to come. So I brought him along and he was just, uh, 
he was really moved by what he had to say. Because he's an American icon. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where when you hear Gordon Cooper just describing that one sequence, and then his reaction when asked, you know, if he had kept touch yeah. with the sequence of events after that, his very strong reaction to the oh, issue. Oh, yeah, no, I really, it really oh, man, a man. live wire within him. I mean, the, the, the interview, he's got a very sort of monotone uh, delivery. And, yeah, you know, yeah. funny enough, he's had that for forever. I mean, I've seen uh, footage of him at news conferences from uh, during the height of his career, and he, his delivery was somewhat similar, obviously. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit weaker in the latter years of his life. But, right, right. but when I said that, did you ever follow up on what happened to that footage? It really... Oh struck a nerve yeah 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 on, on a few on different a few levels different. I think it was yeah, very, yeah he fired very... he fired back I mean he wasn't upset with me about it but you could tell that he was upset about the fact that that evidence had been kept from the general public and yeah. people we've all been lied to I think that's probably what he was responding to we're going to ask you about that I think Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling one 800 728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Jesus and David we're talking to James Fox. He was one of the producers of Out of the Blue, working on a film with the working title Beyond the Blue, which is a great expansion of the original, worked with Leslie Kane on that famous press conference in Washington, D.C., where UFOs were treated very, very seriously. Now, looking at this and looking at all this government participation, did you find, and people are going to want to know this, I think, did you find any evidence at all of where government secrecy about UFOs may originate? Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I remember exactly what I was doing when it happened. It happened uh, from the Robinson panel in 1953. So it was all spawned from that? Pretty much, think. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it happened in America. It happened, um, and this is according to Dr. Jalen Hynek, it makes perfectly good sense. He was part of the Robinson panel, remember that. Um, and he talks about the uh, the CIA's involvement. You know, they looked at this as a problem. They didn't look at it as like, wow, possible contact with, with ETs or the fact that we're not alone in the universe. They looked at it as a problem of airspace, you know, not having control of airspace. And so mm -hmm. uh, the Air Force was guided, according to Dr. Jalen Hynek, by, from the Robinson panel's review as well as by the CIA. Uh, which basically um, they adopted the categoric uh, denial and ridicule, and that it, it set the policy in '53, and it's been that way ever since. You, you know, you you look at some of the, you go to an archives and you look at the newspaper reports in the '40s and or very very early '50s, and, and it's quite, you know, um, quite objective um, and somewhat serious. And there's a change in that, uh, and it happens right around that time. I mean, 
even the statements that General John Sanford made in 52, and the, the Life magazine article that came out in April of 52, I mean, they basically conceded the Air Force that UFOs were real. So how were they able to totally backtrack on that position, James? I mean, how were they able to completely uh, convert all of this to uh, a subject of intense ridicule? Well, I think that was a very effective campaign. You know, don't uh, you can't necessarily totally deny it, um, calling a lot of people liars. But if you ridicule the people talking about it, uh, who's going to want to come forward? You know, why is it that, and that's one of the other things I address in the film, it's like, I can't tell you the amount of times I've been at a cocktail party. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when I go with people that know me, I say, please, don't don't tell anybody what I do. <laughs> because I, I end up getting under fire, and, you know, people laugh, and I become the mockery. But then they get me alone, and they say, God, tell me about this. Is stuff real? Is it right. going on? Right. You know, I thought... There, people are very reluctant uh, in public to uh, admit that, and I well, guess to go with the um, status quo. But, but when you get them alone, they're very, very curious. But but then you have something like uh, out of the blue, where you have people like Gordon Cooper, where you have the Peniston and the other people who were at uh, Bentwaters, who are making it very clear, very believable, extremely believable, to the point of, you know, how can you, you refute these things? I mean, they, they make these statements that are so strong, uh, it, it almost seems like we should be reaching a tipping point right about now. And that, that leads me to something I want to ask you about, which is that, you know, here you've got Out of the Blue Out, and then you do the press conference with Leslie and all of these military people. Um, you know, very sober stuff. And one of the things I, I need to point out is that, uh, unlike what Greer did in 2001, uh, you didn't have any poison pills up on the stage. No, no, I, I knew that we were going to be, that, that that's what they were looking for, and we didn't give them any, right. any information. As a matter of fact, uh, I I had the microphone during the Q&A session at the end, and there were a couple of uh, kind of um, most, it was 98% uh, media at the event, because that's who we invited. Obviously family members of the people who we invited as well, but uh, mm -hmm. there were a couple of, uh, questions posed that uh, would have ended up probably being featured in uh, on the news that night, and I just cut it off right away. I mean, just next question, thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so we, we exactly that we didn't want to give the media any material to go on. And, and there's a guy that was there, and I wish I could remember his name. I think he writes for the Washington Post, but he'd ridiculed on a number of occasions uh, every effort that's been made at the National Press Club and elsewhere to get this uh, the story out, but. He pounces on any of that material, uh, you know. Um, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, they, they, we didn't give the, it to him. So the one green, little green men line that you always, you know, the snicker factor. Um, Absolutely. See we that introduced. So, so a follow-up question though. Um, so you have that press conference. You have out of the blue out. Do you have any people now coming to tell you things in confidence? People, all other people time. in the military. All the time. I get contacted from people in the military all the time, uh, sometimes obviously more than others. And I wish I had uh, the time and the resources and the manpower to uh, to investigate uh, a lot of these um, stories, but we don't. And um, there's some discussion now as to a possible series that I might do. Um, there's some investors talking about doing it, in which case uh, if that happens, I will do that. I'd like to put more heat on the U.S. government, and I think by doing, I'd like to have congressional hearings. That's my mm -hmm. that's my kind of my ultimate goal, and I've been thinking very carefully on how I could do that, 
and I'm working with some people on that and in some discussion. There's also a whole rollout plan for this new film, which I'm discussing with some top-notch people right now. I can't say definitively that's what's going to happen, but they're very excited about the uh, the idea that I've, I've come up with. Uh, I think it would be a very effective campaign. I think it would uh, get the word out. I think it would get good uh, coverage. And the only way we're going to have congressional hearings, open congressional hearings, and I believe me, I've been uh, through the halls of Congress and I've met with, I handed out copies of Out of the Blue to each and every member of the House. It took me like a week with a personalized letter to each and every chief of staff. And I've had some conversa- conversations with them, and, and some of them obviously didn't know anything more than the man on the street, but others did. And they said, look, you know, we can't, we can't touch this subject matter unless the general public, uh, our constituents, uh, put enough pressure on us. Only then can we, can we, can we take action. So I've decided that I'm going to focus primarily on getting the information out to the general public first. Right, and right. then uh, that could possibly lead to some congressional uh, initiative. You know, they tried that, of course, years ago. And this is where I always voice skepticism. But maybe we could see whether it works better in the 21st century. But back in the 60s, they had hearings. We had the Condon Report as a result. Sure. And, of course, we, if you follow the history of the UFO field, Major Donald Kehoe, the late Major Donald Kehoe, pushed for congressional hearings as far back as the early 1950s. And it didn't amount to much. And the question is here, how do you assure these hearings are going to be serious and not another whitewash like Condon, not an effort of political posturing? Well, you know, you, you uh, kind of like what we did at the National Press Club, you Funded privately, you don't relinquish any control, and you, as best as you can, you keep the public in the loop so they can they can see what's going on. There's this transparency, and uh, you know that's 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 what I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best on on that. You know, and obviously uh, that's my ultimate goal. But I think first first things first, getting this film out to the uh, to the masses um, is is really gonna uh, open this thing up. I, I really I, I really believe that strongly, and and. Uh, like I said, I've tested that with some highly skeptical viewers recently. Um, I've had a few private screens, and uh, they, they, you know, I haven't had any any negative feedback in that respect. They just say, "My God, why didn't I know about this? How could I? I can't deny this anymore." Do you think that? And this might be kind of a silly question, James, but given that there, you know, does um, we are going to see a major change of administration next year? There's, a, I think, a sentiment. Certainly, uh, you know, there are people like Stephen Bassett who I think are unrealistic in their sentiment that uh, an Obama administration is going to somehow blow the doors open for disclosure in the spring. Um, I, I think that's uh, not very realistic in terms of an expectation. But do you think that, you know, when you have a major change in administration, that maybe there open up little sort of holes in the system where things can maybe leak out? Do you think that there's a possibility, maybe? That uh, a new administration could create an environment by where maybe you could see more of a series of leaks open up. It's almost as if you know you, you want to see enough information start to flood out where they they can't keep it back anymore. Well, it's, you know, Podesta played an integral role in um, helping assemble the the administration. Mm-hmm. All right, we should mention John Podesta worked with the Clinton administration. He was former chief of staff with Bill Clinton, but he also has pushed, and he's he's featured in the, he's featured in Out of the Loop. He has a small clip at the end saying that uh, it's time. Okay, so have we asked him that since he started working for the president-elect? So here's the latest. 
I can't give it all to you, but I'll give some of it to you. Some uh, people quite close to, to him have contacted me about a movement that's happening. I have not been totally uh, invited or included on this, but my contacts have, and they're doing it through me uh, with a couple people. So there is some things they alluded to that that's what's happening. That, um, But I will see, you know, and I know that, that Podesta is an advocate of opening this thing up. Um, he's not screaming from the hilltops at E.T., but he's saying, you know, that the public's got a, a right to know. I know that he's made inquiries during, uh, you know, his time with Clinton. I know that Clinton has. And I know that Clinton also knows about what's been going on a little bit with us because uh, he's friends with Governor Simington. And they've met a couple of times and discussed what's been happening. So, hmm. but obviously with his wife doing what she's doing, it's um, uh, I don't blame him for being... Uh, reluctant to, to uh, you know, you know, getting involved. Well, yeah, it's a hot potato. It's especially uh, a hot gotta, potato. Like, we've got to keep taking it back to the public. You know, we just the public needs to know, you know, what's out there and and uh, the, see the evidence. And I think that once that happens, I think it'll be a, the whole process will be a lot easier. Now, looking at the other part of the equation, which is the media, and we were kind of joking that the fair and balanced TV cable network is not so fair and balanced, but most of these TV stations have some kind of bent, and the bent is profits, ad sales, ratings, and they consider UFOs largely a source of entertainment. So how do you go to them? Do you have to have these press conferences as you did it in Washington, D.C.? How do you convince the press to take it seriously? Well, uh, funny enough, you should say that. I mean, I, I had a lot of national press exposure last, or this year, and... Um, I I had the opportunity to meet with uh, a lot of the people behind you know CNN and Larry King and Nightline and Dateline and they are uh, out of the blue. The new latest edition has been passed around all CNN headquarters and and they're very excited to meet me and they're seeing for the first time that maybe there is really something going on here. And I think it's funny, you know, because a number of people I've talked to about it is uh, they're like, God, we're you know we're the news agency. We should know about this stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. so there has been, certainly behind closed doors, for sure, because I've talked to them, a change in, in position and attitude on this. There really has been. I, I can tell you that firsthand. And there will continue to be. Uh, and I know that CNN has told me that they, they'd like to work with me uh, next year in, in getting this film out. And I've, I've given them some ideas of what I had in mind. They thought it was a brilliant idea. Oh, and by the way, I'll mention this to any listeners out there. Um, if anyone is interested in backing any level of the uh, rolling out. You know, that's the thing I'm kind of torn with now. It's like, do I go 100% private or do I get this new distribution company, which is quite big, and I can assure you guys have all heard of them, uh, on board. What worries me a little bit is I don't want to lose control of this. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, if there's anyone out there, and it might not be, but if there is anyone out there uh, in a position or would like to be uh, involved with... Um, backing any of these efforts uh, they're very very solid efforts and I've got CNN and a number of other people back behind me on it please feel free to contact me as well but and I'm not saying definitively that's the route I'm going to take but I, I have to put it out there anyway because I'm just fearful of relinquishing control of this I've, I've worked so hard and we've come so far uh, I'd hate to um, slip up at this stage well that leads to an interesting question this issue of control James um, when you've gone on the national media have you had any sense that um, any aspect of what you were talking about was being squelched or misrepresented when you saw media portrayals of your 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 information after the fact? 
Well, I like doing the live stuff because it's kind of difficult, but, well, <laughs> I wasn't terribly pleased with the history the history channels, it, you know, UFO hunters. I guess I guess I wasn't too surprised, but um, I just thought that was just a lot of fluff and filler and really inconclusive. And uh, And I feel like, but have I had, you know, yes, in the past I fully have. In mm-hmm. the last year or two, a lot less so. A lot hmm. less so. Definitely there, a lot less so. You know, it's funny you, you brought up the UFO hunter stuff. Um, I don't have uh, all the paid channels anymore on my cable TV. I turned a lot of that stuff off last year. I don't but I, <laughs> yeah, no, and that's probably a better thing for your mental health. <laughs> um, but I did actually manage to catch the episode they did looking at um, the Corona, the, the the alleged Corona site. And uh, they found this uh, this melted piece of polyethylene, and uh, th- there was this thing that you know they looked at this thing and well, gee, uh, it's pure polyethylene, and that didn't exist in that form in 1947. So look, this was fast piece of polyethylene was found out in the desert, and it you know must be extraterrestrial. And I thought, well, what? You know what? You 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 had a place where there were dirt roads going out there. I imagine. You know, kids go out, get drunk, and blow things up. That's well, sort of course, of they do. want to feel, David, that nobody has gone out there since oh, 1947. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's unrealistic. <laughs> I mean, and so they, they come up with this conclusion, and, you know, next time we have Bill on, I'm going to take him to task for this, because they come to this conclusion, well, because, you know, pure polyethylene in this form didn't exist in 1947, that they found this, you know, melted-up glob of stuff, well, it, you know, this is, this is evidence of something extraterrestrial. And I thought, well, that's just the most ridiculous lack of logic. I mean, ridiculous logic or complete lack of logic I've ever seen displayed. It's, so, it's, it's probably a glog, David, of something else. Yeah, I, 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 wasn't, uh, I wasn't terribly pleased. But, you know, a lot of those guys have good intentions. They really do. They just lose control in the editing room. I mean, it's, ultimately, it's History Channel, uh, you know, the, the heads of History Channel, that they're not in contact with I, I think, at all who makes those decisions and they you know they it's just all fluff it's just fluff it's quick rapid edits lots of fast camera movements blurry yeah. shots and filler and very little substance and you'll see the sound bites from people I mean Jesus I said a lot of really great things I really laid out how I felt 10 years of my research on the Phoenix Lights and they didn't include any of it and so I was disappointed you know but like I said it doesn't it's, it's not directed at the, the, uh, you know, Bill Burns or, or any of the, uh, the characters that are featured on the episode. I think that overall, their intentions are good. I really do. I just feel that they, you know, they, because of the fact that they're working with the History Channel, ultimately the History Channel, the executive of the History Channel make those decisions and, and they're out of the loop. You know, they're right. selling their souls to the devil, I guess, when you do that. Listen, this is part one of the Paracast talking to James Fox about his plans for Beyond the Blue, the working title of a successor or enhancement or reimagining of the Out of the Blue documentary. More on the other side of the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, 
A coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. James Fox, working on Beyond the Blue, or at least that's the working title, to the successor enhancement reimagining of his great out-of-the-blue UFO documentary. Uh, it's it's going to be called Mo Better Blue. Mo Better. <laughs> we, we, we actually wanted to call it "What the F was that?" <laughs> oh my God! No, I think there's not, some not, guy not, in <laughs> Illinois who thinks he's still governor, who's been uh, who's been abusing that word we what, can never what use the bleep anymore. Was that? Yeah, what was uh, Fitzgerald saying? You know, and it wasn't uh, bleeped out. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, there was one TV station which I won't mention, which. Basically, they segued all the people saying, and he said, mother bleeping and bleeping bleeping, and soon it became this morass of bleeping journalists. <laughs> you know, it was really funny, actually. I just saw a clip, and I'm sure you're well aware of it, of George Bush having a shoe hurled at him. Oh, I love um, that clip. Yeah, it's a great really, I just saw it for the first time. I'd heard about it, but... Uh, I can see Saturday Night Live hitting this. I have to say, you know, there are not that many things that have come out of that man's mouth that I've laughed at, but he said, I could tell you from, from about my perspective, it was a size 10. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite funny. I'm sorry. but <laughs> No, no, no. That's okay. Well, you know what? God bless the internet and things like After Effects, James. Uh, <laughs> that that clip that people already wrote out the shoe, put in a snowball. Uh, the guy did both times, my God. <laughs> I know, you'd think you'd get him at least once, and, and, and of course now that guy is in Guantanamo Bay. He's gonna be, yeah, right. He's oh, gonna then they'll be the one with Barry Bonds throwing it at him. <laughs> David, are you working on that right now, as a matter of fact? Yeah, yeah, After oh, Effects God, is I'm the so tracking right now. Good, no, that's good okay. laugh on that one. <laughs> so James, uh, yeah. let me ask you something. You know, you've been very objective about all of this, and uh, you've gone uh, to lengths to to be extremely objective, very rational about all this stuff. But certainly in talking to all these people and in, in immersing yourself in this as long as you have, you've come to some perhaps personal, not, I won't say conclusions, because that, that would, would indicate that you've reached some understanding of what's going on. What would you say, if, if we want to put you on the spot here, what would you say is one of the weirder things that you've, thought about regarding all of this that maybe doesn't come through in in your documentary work so from the personal side now what because when when we talk about this there's always this underlying thread of this weird component to all of this uh, some people call it high strangeness some of us just call it weirdness you're on the paracast this is a place where you know you can say some things with a little out there so in all of the discussions you've had with people and you know you've immersed yourself so deeply in this what would be a personal feeling about this whole topic that might not come through on your documentaries? Well, I've had to ask myself this on a number of occasions. You know, what I've kind of boiled it down to is mm -hmm. uh, very simple, and I'll expand on your question in just a second, but 
put this um, say this first. You know, I, I I've determined that it's either all terrestrial activity or it isn't. And of course, I'm feeling that it, it it's not all related to terrestrial activity. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that puzzles me is why is it that the uh, that these craft are obviously under intelligent control? No arguing that. No arguing that. But why is it that they don't make themselves uh, currently known? I mean, it wouldn't take a whole lot. Um, they could do it over a, a Super Bowl or Fourth of July parade, uh, broad daylight, that sort of thing. Um, right. So there's some. I'm puzzled. Uh, why they perform some things and and not others? I, I, it's it's strange. It's like their behavior is elusive too. Not always, but most of the time. Uh, I know, don't know if that answers your your question directly or not, but to me, uh, I find that strange and difficult to um, comprehend. Well, give you an example. We talk about the Phoenix episode. You talk about this huge craft, and you you pointed out that it's almost as if this thing wanted to be seen, right? Yeah. So let's assume for a moment. Who is select few? Because well, if it really yeah. wanted to be seen, it would have gone over broad daylight at high noon. Right. Yeah, but remember, at the same, I mean, yeah. Well, no, it's just that a lot of the, every one of the witnesses from all over, they all say, had I not looked up, I wouldn't have even known it was there. Hmm. We, we've talked about the specific thing I'm going to bring up now, which is that you have a craft that large, right? And you think to yourself, why would a craft that large be that low in the atmosphere even? Why would it be in the atmosphere to begin with? Let's say it was an interstellar craft for, just for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. Why would it, why would it come down to that to that very low altitude and let itself be seen. And so it, personally, I, I kind of walk away with that thinking, well, it's almost an act of intimidation in a way. I mean, you know, to see, because we don't have anything that large in the sky. And so there is a sense we were talking about before about these uh, these hospice workers who saw this and were just like, oh, okay, they didn't move. And and I, I know what that feeling is like based on my personal experiences. When you see something very large in the sky that you have no reference for, your your legs basically lock up. It's not like you're going to think rationally at that point. And I think about something that size moving where, and, and, and the descriptions of it with these lights where you could really get a, a, a very good sense of um, not only that this thing was large, but that there was power in it. You know, you've got these these huge light things on it that are uh, sort of creating this. Uh, I think one of the kids, one of the witnesses, describes it as, you know, seeing the refraction of the air uh, on top of a hot road. So there's a sense that this is a very large, very energetic thing, and in sort of trying to extrapolate. And and of course the problem here is that when you try to extrapolate, you don't know what you're extrapolating from or to. You have this large thing in the atmosphere at low altitude, moving very slowly. Yes, if they hadn't looked up, they wouldn't have seen it. But at the same time, you know, the reports of it having these big lights, I think, on three ed- ends of it or two ends of it, these huge white light things. It's almost as if, as I said, it's trying to intimidate it because, uh, again, I, I can't come to any understanding or conclusion of why this thing would be so low unless it was, uh, you know, either removing or leaving resources. For lack must, of a better way of saying it. We must look like we are as a civilization in kindergarten compared to these guys. And yeah. one of the questions I remember asking Edgar Mitchell, uh, Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, is why uh, why wouldn't they just land on the White House lawn? You know, and Obviously, I'm forcing him to speculate, but... Sure. I'll never forget it. He said, uh, you know, think about it. 
changed. If we went and found life, uh, we actually ex explored, went out, found the life on another planet, would you just uh, overtly land somewhere in a populated area of people, uh, or would you want to sit back and sort of observe? Besides which, would you want to talk with an anthill? <laughs> I'm serious, because you come back to that. But then the other question you have to ask is, if you go back through history, UFOs have been here for quite a long time. So yeah, if they had any intent sure. on communicating with us, either that time has long since passed or there's some higher or lower purpose, depending on your point of view. Yeah, and there might be different agendas with different visitations. But um, you remember that case that happened in 94 in Ruiz, Zimbabwe? Oh, with um, the kids and the... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there yeah. was some communication, apparently. There was some communication then, talking about the destruction of the planet and, and um, that sort of thing. So that's rather interesting, and and um, you know maybe it's different. Uh, I'm just speculating here, but maybe it's different visitors uh, with different agendas. Maybe uh, some of it's interplanetary. Maybe some of it's interdimensional. You know, this is all speculation. Well, right? sure, and and you don't come to any conclusions re with regards to any of this in the new documentary. Well, in the documentary, what I do, which I think my gut feeling told me it was the best uh, route to take, is to put the evidence out there and uh, one quickly eliminates what it is not and what you're left with is not a whole lot more than, than you know uh, if it's not terrestrial then it's got to be extraterrestrial do you know what I mean mm -hmm. comes, absolutely yeah process <clears throat> so elimination we don't yeah. say we don't say that that's what's happening but we allow the viewer to come to that draw their own there's really nowhere else to go with it really well so uh, on the outside surface of it it seems like like there isn't but then what happens is that you have people who start to look at this from the point of view of um, kind of more of an anomalous mechanism and and this is where you you know you start to get into some fairly uh, murky territory and it, but it's murky territory that uh, some of us think might might actually hold some some clues because I think that one of the things that's very important and I was talking about this with someone the other day is that what we really have here are, you know, these 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 anomalous phenomena that seem to offer us clues about how things work. And, uh, you know, when it, it's funny because here you are, you've devoted so much of your life now to this topic of UFOs, and um, certainly it's a big enough topic with enough history to sort of get engrossed in and 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 lose sight of. All of the other weird stuff that goes on, where, where at times there seems like there's overlap with the UFO topic. You know, uh, things where uh, there have been some cases, for example, UFO cases, where when we had Jerry Clark on recently, a fabulous UFO historian, uh, UFO encyclopedia, great, great book. And we talked with him about the, uh, the Pescagola. I, I always get the, the pronunciation of that place wrong. But we had the, these these two guys who were out fishing, and uh, this craft comes down, and these big metal robot things come out. Where one of the things that Jerry Clark confirmed for us is that there is no equivalent to what these two guys witnessed um, in any of the other UFO lore that exists. Um, it's almost like this was a sort of a one-off kind of a situation. And, and as you start to dig into the history of this, um, especially on an international level, you find. Like in Venezuela in the 50s, there was this wave of these little hairy, violent creatures that literally attacked people. Uh, I think in Petate in Caracas, they attacked a couple of guys. 
And, and so it, it's very hard to try to nail down, even, you know, we talk about these, these different, the, the morphology of the craft. There are all these different shapes of craft. There are all these different types of beings that are reported. One starts to, to, to sort of dig and say, well, is it that we're vis- being visited by, let's say, a large variety, a re- large representation of different types of being, or is, is this actually conforming itself, whatever this phenomenon is? Is it, is it conforming ourself, itself to our expectations, our cultural expectations? Do you think that people have the ability, because you, you were talking before, James, about, you know, the fact that with like UFO hunters where everything gets sort of distilled down to the lowest common denominator. Is it that we're always going to hit this wall where in order to make this topic palatable for a wide audience, you have to try to boil it down to sort of very simplistic concepts? Or, or is well, perhaps the, the answer more esoteric and therefore harder to present in a mainstream fashion? Well, you know, uh, uh, obviously, once again, this is speculation, but it's... Sure. Seems like you know eyewitness accounts of 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 these craft. They don't have any. They've never been prepared, educated, in any way on on how to deal with or process what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm just just my my personal opinion. I could be dead wrong, but uh, they quickly want to uh, categorize it or pigeonhole it in anything they they can comprehend or, or relate it to. And in most cases, it just it just can't be done. But and over the uh, centuries, uh, you know, quite possibly one of the reasons why I'm just once again speculating. People are are, are doing just that, you know, and um, that could be a reflection of of the times uh, and what they know. You know, ships, floating ships, that sort of thing. You know, back before there were airplanes, or uh, um, you even see some of the descriptions of the saucers. You know, slightly more ornate than others. <laughs> You know, uh, usually Absolutely. always discs. So maybe that has something to do with it. But, but like again, like once again, I, I, I am speculating. So. Okay, we know speculation is always good for the soul. Hi, this is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO magazine. magazine. Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give it 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time where we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way. Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com. Subscribe online. You happy? Yeah, was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Aerie Radio, opening the door to the unknown. Download episodes of Aerie Radio directly from iTunes or visit their website at www.eerieradio.com. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
We're talking to James Fox, <laughs> and he is working on the enhancement, the reimagining of Out of the Blue called Beyond the Blue. And, of course, David and I are helping him, you know, think of other I've titles. i got to think of a title here. You know, there's a movie, there was a movie a long, long time ago called Don't Worry, We'll Think of a Title, which I think came and went real fast. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, funny enough, we've been trying to come up with with a title for a while, and I keep thinking of statements made by witnesses, reoccurring statements, and, you know, it's always, I know what I saw, or what the heck was that, or, you know, talk about the flight characteristics, the speed at which it took off. So I've been kind of exploring that whole side as a possible, but I haven't come up with come up with anything yet. So looking, and maybe I won't have a whole lot of control with that in the end anyway. I don't know. Mm, right. You know. So anyway, we had to give we had to call it something, <laughs> and it is kind of beyond out of the blue. So, but I love the title out of the blue. Isn't that brilliant? Well, I really like it. I thought it was. Yeah, really my good. dad came up with it. My my father really? came up with it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he'd been uh, lobbying for a number of different titles, and all of which I didn't like. And I said, well, you know, when the right one comes along, we'll know. And he said, hey, what do you think out of the blue? Done. That's, it. That's a good one. That's a good. There it is. When you, you know it when you hear it, right? Well, you know, Bluetooth wouldn't work it. Then you think it's Bluetooth or something. Now, if you make a an arrangement with one of these big distributors, basically they have the power to title this anything they want. Yeah, it would obviously depend on whatever it is. Uh, ultimately, we negotiate. But yeah, I mean, they're they're where they say those are the, it's the golden rule. Those are the gold rule. Yeah, but you know, let me let me just give you a quick uh, so the the feed the initial feedback I got, which was I thought was rather uh, I was excited about. He said, "Vish is really convincing." That's well, the title. I, that That's the title. Let's go with that. It. Wasn't a title. That wasn't a title. That was the feedback I got from one of the guys <laughs> at, at a very large distribution of companies. <laughs> well, I got to throw this out as an homage to, uh, to to Neil Young. You know, you could call it Into the Black. <laughs> and, and 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 that could represent hopefully what how it will turn out. Yes, I know. Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> out of the red. <laughs> <laughs> out of the red. Well, that's the thing. And, and by the way, uh, one of my favorite little clips on the second disc of the um, the anniversary edition of Out of the Blue is is that little clip where where you say, you know, for those people who think that I'm doing this for the money, you know, think again. That that's really it's it, it's quite 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 true. And we yeah, well, I just say take take a look at my uh, my banks now. I'll make them all public to everybody uh, gladly, and that will quickly uh, squash that whole argument. Yeah. So yeah. especially well, the ones that where they have the the parentheses around the figures and therefore they are negative and they have the NSF charges. Yes. Banks love to do that. Yes, yes, yes. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I make this statement quite often. I, I would have made more flipping burgers at uh, McDonald's probably. On an hourly basis, yeah. If you put, yeah, so, on an hourly basis, you, you know, you can imagine it's, it's definitely a labor of love. And um, But, um, hey, you know, I, people ask me quite often, why why is you doing what you're doing? You know, why, why can't, why, why do you keep doing this and I said well just imagine hypothetically for a second if this story were true that earth was being visited how would you consider that in a, in a scale from 1 to 10 in terms of significance you know 10 being the most and 0 being the least and they all say 10 so alright well now I'm pretty much convinced of that so I can't walk away from it right right so when you, you take that statement and this is one of the reasons we really appreciate having you come on the show James is that we I'll speak for both of us we really think you're one of the good guys okay oh and thank you well, no, you are. I mean, you 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 put it out there with uh, out of the blue. And in fact, even um, on the, uh, the special edition, there's the UFOs: 50 Years of Denial, 
which you had, the one hour piece you had done earlier. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that has some really great little things that a lot of people haven't seen, like some of the cave painting stuff, some of the French cave painting stuff. Yeah, um, that's fun. It's a fun, it's a, it's a, it's a much it's more good. lighthearted, less quite, but, but for the time and for the resources I had and considering it was my first big production. <laughs> yeah, it was I, very good. I thought it was a nice little piece. And you should be proud of it. Oh, thank you. So, well, so, but, so here's the thing, and, and, and I think we think of you as someone who, um, is a comrade in this, and and so one of the things about the Paracast uh, is that we've we've gotten the reputation at this point, we've we've earned it, uh, I might say, of you know taking people who we feel are are doing a disservice to the field and taking them to task, asking them hard questions. You know, there certainly there is a there there is a good amount of noise around this sandbox. Uh, that's an understatement, but yes. <laughs> Well, so how do you? And again, not, to put you on the uh, on, on the spot here. I mean, how do you feel about people who come in and and spin yarns and just throw stuff out there that's just so ridiculous that you know any thinking person looks at it and goes, "Well, this is just nonsense." We've been attacked for for t- taking some of those people to task because mm-hmm. we feel passionately about this. So how do you feel about some of these people? No what names. Do, just, yeah, no, yeah. I hear you. I, what I do is I I choose not to engage. And I, for a number of reasons, one is I, I feel that it's not worth my time and effort. I, I've got better things to do. Right. And uh, secondly, I, I don't wish to any ill upon them. I just I don't want to be associated with what they're doing in any way, shape, or form. And I, I, I just choose, like I said, I just choose not to even to go there at all. Yeah. If that makes any sense at all. You have more willpower I, than we do. Yeah, no, I, I, you it, know, I just, I just have this. I, I've got my hands full as it is, and I just, I just try not to get involved. And I, you know, you know, and it's funny. I, I hear exactly what you guys are saying. Well, you guys are much more in the trenches than I am. I would say, um, on a daily basis, I, I, I spend a lot of my time dealing with, you know, military people and stuff that don't generally uh, find themselves, you know, dealing with media on a daily basis right. or often. Uh, and, and, and quietly editing away in the editing room, you know, and then I do my little media appearances whenever, you know, there's something to be reported. And other than that, I kind of keep to myself, really. Uh, I have a handful of people that I deal with, Leslie being one of them, and I, I just, uh, I just don't, I don't even uh, engage in that, you know, and I've seen, uh, bad things written about me uh, on the internet, and uh, Mr. Fox is, uh, doing a lot more harm than good, and. Really? And just, how's, you know, so, how, how's that? No, I, I don't. I don't even read beyond that that uh, that sentence. Huh. I just. I don't even. <laughs> I don't acknowledge it. You know, and I've even had people write me nasty uh, emails, and I say, hey, you know, I really appreciate your opinion, and uh, you're entitled to it. I disagree, but uh, I wish you all the best for what you're doing, and and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to contact me. Goodbye. Uh, I can't. It's hard to understand how someone could, you know, look at, you know, watch out of the blue and. Find some. I, I have a difficult time doing, you know, and, and uh, oh yeah, I've oh. been attacked. I've been attacked a number of times, and I just choose not to take it personally. I know that my intentions are good. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I make mistakes, but I do try, and I do rec- I, I do um, appreciate your recognition with that. You know, I'm I'm far from perfect. My God, I just you know, the more I, I I look into this, the more I realize I don't how much I don't know. You know, I feel comfortable talking about the things that I do know, and that's pretty much it. Well, it's one way to, of course, keep yourself out of trouble. <laughs> you see, we don't see any limits because we have a lot of interests and we find that there are charlatans in every area. Oh, yeah. And so what do we do? Of course, we go after the charlatans because 
It's a hard job, someone's but someone has it. to. Someone's got to do it. Exactly. You're, right. You're, right. you're on the right wavelength. Someone has to do it. Yeah, someone and, has to do it. No doubt about it. And we realize, I think, early on that if we don't do it, we're just going to be like the people that we don't like in this business, yeah. the people now, we hate. I'll tell you, behind the scenes, I have gone to great lengths to avoid uh, interaction, contact, association with a number of, of uh, these characters. And believe me, I recognize that. I don't think for a minute that I don't. Uh, but I choose not to engage publicly because I don't want to get involved with a mudslinging match. Uh, I've got better things to do with my time. You know what I mean? That's a really good stance to take. I wish we could be more like that. <laughs> no, you don't. Well, no, but, you know, for, for certain things, look, uh, for certain people who, and the problem here, of course, being that um, there is no process of vetting people. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have on someone who we, we haven't announced yet, but one of the things about this person, and it's funny, and, and you know, James, you're, you're someone who's doing hard research, so you well know that when, when someone gets on uh, their website or on the air and starts claiming about being covered, let's say, oh, I've been written up in the New York Times. It's like, uh-huh. you know, uh, well, gee, it's not that hard to go to the New York Times website and search their entire database of everything they've ever published to, to verify such things. And it's amazing how for so many people involved uh, in this particular sandbox, there really is often no attempt to research anything about someone. People are given such a wide berth, you know, oh, yeah, oh, you, you're a self-proclaimed expert, sure, come on and and talk and 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 in that sense, I think you know you've done exactly the right thing. And for example, having when you did the press conference, like I said, you didn't have any poison pills in there. You basically presented in a way. And by the way, I'll say that now. I'll tell you that in that um, in that uh, uh, one hour UFOs, fifty years of denial, there are a couple of people that show up in there that are poison pills. Yep, 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 yep. And I, and I. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm talking about. We don't need oh, to mention yeah. names here, but, oh, yeah. you know, clearly. And and in out of the blue, there were a couple in the earlier version, which I cut out totally. All right. So uh, we and there even are some left over in the newer version. But I can assure you, in the latest version I've got, I was extremely diligent about this. And I've gotten better and better as time's progressed. But I've definitely slipped up myself. Well, you see, that's been the problem with the media, is they don't know how to separate the poison pills from the non-poison pills. And it may be partly because they don't care. They figure the poison pills are the ones who are the most entertaining. It's it's pretty much, and that's another frustrating thing, but things are changing, I I assure you. They really are. Um, But, you know, and I work a little bit with the the History Channel people. It's interesting to get a sort of inside look at what goes on there. And most of the producers and and directors on the show, they couldn't care less about UFOs, Mm -hmm. whether they're real or not real. They're just out there to get paid and do a story. Right. You know, and it's unfortunate. You know, um, and I do my best to to guide them. I really did. I, I mean, and it's one. Of, I I turned them down for several months, and then finally I thought, well, if I can help in any way to enlighten these people a little bit on this subject matter and um, and and make the show a little better, then what the heck, I'll give it a shot. I, I you know, I I doubt. I highly doubt I'll do it again because I was so disappointed with the show. I think I'm going to be on another show <laughs> with oh. them because I did two episodes, uh, and I don't even think I'm going to watch the next one. <laughs> a fast question here because we know that you're going to have to leave us shortly, and that is, what do you plan to do once the film is out? It's all done. You're going to have another sequel, or are you going to get a day job? Ah, right. I know. Well, I I, I do other uh, films. I uh, work. I'm working on a film right now for PBS called The Good Fight. 
it's about uh, an American hero, conservationist, who helped uh, save the Grand Canyon from dams, as well as trying to conserve or preserve uh, 50% of the remaining giant sequoias, some of the oldest mm. and tallest trees left on the planet. Uh, 50, 50% of them are threatened right now. Uh, the Sequoia National Monument is under the acts of the Forest Service. And uh, so we're trying to raise the level of awareness with that. Um, I have a film that was on tour with the film festival in Telluride, Colorado. And I've got renewable energy films that I want to do. I want to do one in the recycling industry, the wastefulness of American uh, culture. So, yeah, I have lots of subjects. But, and, you know, and I, and I keep saying, oh, well, this is going to be my last UFO film. I'm never going to say that again because I've been wrong every time. <laughs> it sucks you know, in. If the situation presents itself, I'd like to, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to carry this through. I want, I'd like to help, you know, get congressional hearings. I really would. I'd like to see this story uh, break. I really would. Where can we learn more information about the status of Beyond the Blue when it's going to come out and everything? Well, I'm going to, as soon as I have some updates, see, the thing is, is that my hands are kind of tied right now. I don't want to act uh, unilaterally on this whole thing. Uh, I'm sort of waiting to hear back from uh, this, this uh, my, my, my agent, what I should call him. So for me to put uh, a trailer on my website, God, I'd love to do it. And, 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 but I'm going to be doing some updates uh, next year, early next year. I really will um, on the site uh, as much as I can. And and I'd be willing, obviously, periodically to to. But you know, I I might know something by tomorrow. I I don't know. I mean, it's the holidays coming soon, so we'll see. Yeah, it gets but, usually um, gets quiet around then. Yeah. It, yeah, it's the quiet before the storm. I know it's going to hit really hard in '09, uh, and uh, I'm just sort of enjoying my time down right now. James, quick I'm question. Yes. Well, uh, here's the thing. Um, you know that that press conference that you did yep. with Leslie, she was actually kind enough to send uh, send me the video of that, and, oh, and I watched it. And it's phenomenal. So the question is, A, is that commercially available in some way? B, if not, will you consider putting that on a special edition DVD? Absolutely. Definitely, yeah. There's a number of material that didn't make it into the movie. That being some some of it, I think this should all go on on the DVD. And I'm even thinking about doing a multiple pack. But And I'm going to influence whoever distributes this as much as I can. And but, um, but yes, I think that should certainly be a part of it. Absolutely. It's the raw footage. And... You know, a lot of people say to me, gosh, well, uh, what was the overall outcome of that event, that historic event you did? I said, well, um, nothing changed. Excuse me, nothing changed overnight, but it has given us unprecedented access to military witnesses and, and a level of, of, of credibility and access that, uh, that, that Leslie nor I had prior to that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think for, you know, rolling out the new movie and, and, um, and the respect in the media that it's given us, so it was worth that alone. And and uh, there were a number of of, of media people there, uh, some big guys at CNN and stuff, and you know that really opened up their eyes on the whole subject matter. So I think in baby steps it helped. Well, I, I just want to also put you know, and I'm just a huge believer in you know, the, the the YouTube and the Google video. Early on in our talks with Greer, I sort of strongly suggested he put some of his materials online. He kind of didn't, and uh, and we've been very disappointed with him. I, I sort of would like to put that bug in your ear. You know, if there's some way to legally and, and comfortably put that press conference online, I don't know if it is already. If it isn't, I think it's something that I people think it's need a to. Good idea. And I don't have I I don't have a problem with that at all until I 
you know, soon, and, and I'm all for getting the information out there. I really have. I mean, quite honestly, if I if I didn't, uh, if I wasn't three hundred thousand dollars in debt from having produced this movie, you know, I'd give it away. I really would, <laughs> because that's why I did it. You know, but I but I have investors that I have to pay back, and, and I have to follow certain guidelines, and it's just unfortunately the way it is right now. So that's the reality. Uh, no, absolutely. To, you know what I mean? I, I got to be a little cautious and. But I get people contacting me quite often. People complain. I know for a while we had uh, three, the three-pack DVD set on our site for $100. And that was for a number of reasons. One is we're, we don't really have the manpower to distribute anyway. And for us, it was like a, a source of uh, like support for people sure. that really believe in what we're doing. If you can afford it, great. And I had people contact me and complain about the price, and I sent them free DVDs every time. I didn't want that to be the preventative factor, but at the same time, we also weren't in the, in the business of video distribution. It's a lot of work. Um, a lot of work to maintain a website, uh, e-commerce site, and people complain, oh, they didn't get it, or it arrived broken, or, you know, some people are, it's like a full-time job, I had to hire two people just to do it, you know, but anyway, well, so, um. Well, having, okay. having marketed Photoshop videos in the past, I, I feel your pain. Yeah. I, I know right. what that was like, and it was really tough, and I had a, I had a staff of 11 people working for me. Yeah, well, I can only imagine what it would have taken had I had I had the thing sold for nineteen. We weren't there to, you know, what it did was is it is it the people that really respected and appreciated what we were doing, lended a hand, gave us financial support, and it also mm-hmm. probably made a uh, you know uh, a twentieth of the sales we would have made, maybe more, maybe a hundredth of what right. we would have sold. But we, you know, what well, we were—that's not the business we're in right now. You know, the, it was us, the people that are real staunch supporters, and and um, uh, that's why we did it. So, I think the website's down at this point. Not totally down. But I don't think I, I, I've, I've asked the webmaster guy to take off our e-commerce site, and we're no longer offering anything on that site until further notice. Just because right. of what I said earlier. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, when you get to that point, well, you and I will talk offline because I, I've, I've got some practical information, experience along those lines that I can be more than happy to share with you. There, there are ways to to get fulfillment happening and. Uh, it comes down to, you know, when people order stuff on TV, that shipping and handling charge, that's the fulfillment charge. That's right, pretty much, right, 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 that's right. how that works. And, you know, and there's, there's way, there are other ways to do, to do it, but hopefully you will get the real distribution that your, uh, work deserves. And, uh, hopefully you'll get the kind of economic momentum with it that will make it so that you'll have to do a follow-up to it. You'll just have to for financial reasons. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, and also, like I said earlier, uh, you know, I, I'm not opposed entirely to uh, a sequel to that piece if, if I'm going to make progress. If I right. get access and break new ground and get access to, to new witnesses, um, if I can make it a lot better, then I'll do it. Um, otherwise, I'm not going to do more of the same. You know what I mean? Right, right, sure, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Hey, thank you for showing up. And I know that, you know, you've been undergoing, you know, a lot of personal things that you had to deal with. And we so much appreciate the fact that you are spending this hour and 40 minutes or so to join us on the PowerCast. James Fox, please let us know when we could put up new links to the site, when you're going to have the official announcement. And we look forward to having you back on the PowerCast. Thank you so much, you two. I, I really enjoyed being on your show. Thank you, James. Any way we can help, just uh, give us a shout. I will.
Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession-slash-depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380, 800-715-4380, or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com, 1-800-715-4380. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with opportunities to stretch out and talk. I bet you can't wait to see that movie. If it goes in the movie theaters, that'd be interesting. Maybe have a 3D version of Beyond the Blue. No, no, come on. Don't be silly. No, uh, it would be great. It would be wonderful to see James have his documentary get that kind of exposure. You know, people who I've shown out of the blue to, when they see it, some of these are people who have no real knowledge of the UFO world. And they see this and they turn to me and they go, what the hell, are you serious? Really? That's really what's going on? And I say, yeah, look at that. And they can't believe it. And the the response to like the Gordon Cooper uh, testimonial is they, they typically while he's talking about that they'll turn to me with their mouths open like huh and there it is I mean you know people are are seeing something that's not about goofy treatments of this topic people see stuff that is is rational they see stuff that's real and the honesty of it the power of that is immediate and it's visceral and so you know. To be in a situation where that was on a motion picture screen, you'd have a an audience full of people seeing these revelations, turning to each other, going, oh, what? It's kind of like, I mean, I think it would have, in many ways, a similar uh, kind of an effect on people as the documentary Sicko did, Michael Moore's documentary about the healthcare system in the United States. I went to go see uh, Sicko in a movie theater, and... I was watching the reactions of people sitting around me, and it was quite something, people learning things that... They'd never thought about things that, you know, affected their lives, definitely, and had an impact on their lives the way maybe that UFO material sort of doesn't right now, 
But to see their reactions and to see the fact that they were sitting in a room with other people and they could then have the shared experience of awakening, of sort of epiphany, really was something to behold. And I, and I would love to see that. What you see now, though, in the UFO field, this is the problem, because it is considered a form of entertainment, people don't associate it with their own lives. They don't say, my God, we've got these things flying in our skies. They're tracked on radar. They're chased by jet planes. They land. We have people reported being abductions. Right now, it's just entertainment. It's a reality show. They don't see it as impacting their lives unless they have the experience. And they say, my God, look what is going on. What are we going to do about this? Can we do something about it? How is it impacting our lives? It doesn't impact our lives if it's just entertainment on the big... You can't call it on the tube anymore, on the plasma, on the LCD, whatever. On the pixels. Let's just leave it on the pixels. On the pixels, there's no direct connection. I mean, it's no more than CSI or Without a Trace or even Heroes. These shows are just entertainment UFOs can't possibly have a real effect on their lives. Now, wait a minute, but those shows, all correct me if I'm wrong, but all the stuff you just cited is all fictional. Well, that's it, but they can't see UFOs as being anything real. Well, if Gordon Cooper's telling you he watched UFO land and he filmed it, if you can't take that as real, well, then you know what? You're a lost cause anyway. Right, Seriously. that is the point, the point that is being emphasized. But then how many people saw Out of the Blue? How many people saw the fifth edition? And we all hope that he's going to get the distribution, James Fox, so that lots of people will see Beyond the Blue, even if it goes right to cable TV. You know, it's on home box office or Showtime or Stars, and millions of people can see it. Or maybe it's on NBC or something. NBC, right now, they are having an awful time getting material. Right now, they have to have Jay Leno do a variety show at 10 o'clock because they have nothing else to fill. They can't do scripted dramas. They're completely desperate for new material. So show a UFO documentary. Let people spend two hours watching something that's really happening. I'm all with you. I say that'd be great. Um, People have to want to watch something that is real, though. And I think that I'm going to make a prediction here. I think as we move into the next few years, what's going to happen is that people are going to want more and more forms of uh, escapist content. I think things are going to get so bad in the real world that people are going to want to turn to escapist material as a way to distract themselves. And one of the things that... Well, starting in the 30s and 40s, they did that. Well, what I was going to say was that the New York Times recently had an article about how the uh, business of psychics and fortune tellers has gone up dramatically in this financial mess we're in. I mean, uh, actually, there is... a. A listener of the Paracast, a fan of the Paracast, who I've been in touch with. I don't know if she wants me to say her name or not. She's actually also on the uh, Paracast forums. But she was uh, uh, featured in that article in the New York Times about uh, basically psychics and and uh, uh, that whole sort of genre of, uh, of people having a huge uptick in business, just significant. And they're charging in many cases. I mean, some of these people get six, seven hundred bucks an hour, and they're having stockbrokers call them up saying, you know, tell me where the market's going, because your 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 information and insight is as good as any analyst I know. So I think what we're going to see happen in the next few years, Gene, is we're going to see people turn to, in many cases, sadly, exaggerated sort of entertainment prep versions of this material as a form of uh, escapism. And so the the question you have to ask there is, 
in that environment, the stuff that's real even pose a tremendous appeal to people, or are they so desperate to lose themselves in fantasy to sort of block out what's going on in the real world that the real stuff is too real for them? I'd hope that's not the case, but you look at what goes, what's going on certainly in our society, and you might decide that that is exactly what's happening. Well, you have to look at, for example, 24-hour cable news, and you say, well, this must be what's happening in the world. And then you look at no. three different stations. Let's look at MSNBC. Let's look at CNN. Let's look at Fox News. Forget about the political leanings. You will see a totally different world. And those worldviews are not what's really happening. You're seeing something that is completely condensed, homogenized, pasteurized to fit the particular viewpoint of the management of those networks. And the management of those networks typically is uh, basically beholden to the corporate overlords that own all of these media entities. And it turns out that with the consolidation of media into corporate hands, um, it's every bit the nightmare that network, the movie network portrayed, except it's gone way beyond anything imagined in the movie network, way beyond any of that. that and, you know, I've always mentioned that movie time and time again because... It really was a very harsh predictor in many ways of what has gone down. And it was seen as being on the fantasy level back when it was originally made in 1976. But here we are, you know, 33 years later, 30, 32, 33 years later, and it's all gone down, man. All of it. It's all happened. People go, what are you talking about? No one's ever been killed on TV. Like the way that uh, Howard Beale is at the end. Ooh, spoiler. Yeah? Well, 9-11 snuff television. What about Lee Harvey Oswald? He shot by Jack Ruby in the 1960s. That's a real murder shown on television. What about President Kennedy? On TV, you saw this guy's head exploding. Literally. Well, now, wait a minute. That, so the Zapruder film was shown years later. It wasn't right, like but shown. you did see something on TV when it happened. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes. Where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened. 
at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. You are in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking, David and I, about things happening in our society, about UFOs, about whether we can handle the truth. That statement from Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth. Can we handle the truth about UFOs, psychic phenomena, any of these subjects? Forget that. As a society, can we handle any truth that's not convenient? And the answer is obviously not. We can't. We failed. Miserable, massive, epic fail on that one. We can't. We can't. We can't handle the truth of our economy. That's why we're letting crooks, thieves, psychopaths like uh, Paulson run free with our money. We, we, you know, this is why every American has massive amounts of blood on their hands. And by the way, I know that when I talk like this on the Paracast, some of our listeners get very upset. They say, you know, why are you bringing up political stuff, your own extreme political views into this show? And I'll tell you why. It's very simple. This show is about waking up. It is. It's about waking up and staring the real world right in the face and dealing with it. And it's just like, Gene, the fact that we have brought people onto the Paracast to expose them and to show people what they're really about because, I, certainly speaking for myself, I'm tired of the fantasy worlds that people wrap around this material this incredibly, I think, incredibly important issue of what the reality of things that live in the paranormal realm, what are they really about? Can you know, really speaking of exposing things, by the no. way, next week, the last oh, show yeah. of 2008 on the Paracast, oh boy. The crucifixion episode, you mean. This is going to be the oh, ultimate yeah. crucifixion episode. It's the episode that no other paranormal radio show would dare air. No wouldn't dare air in a million years because uh, most paranormal shows are about entertainment. And, you know, on the Paracast, we recognize that sometimes if you want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. That's the deal. Didn't Jack Nicholson say that in one of the Batman movies? I don't know. I don't know. I what? There was only one Batman movie he was in. That was the Tim Burton original. That's right. Uh, which uh, was a really good movie because of Jack Nicholson and Prince's musical involvement. But let's not go off track here. So the whole point about bringing up, um, you know, people will get concerned that I'll bring up things like the fact that. Every American lives in denial that every one of us, every single one of us who is an American, has blood all over our hands. There is the blood of innocence all over our hands. now. And, and there are people who, are, who might argue that this has always been the case, but never really like now. I mean, the things that have gone on in the past five, six years, our situation in the Middle East that we, we've created for ourselves... Um, you know, people think, oh, Bush this, Bush that. Well, no, 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 you see, people in the Middle East don't see it as George W. Bush did this stuff to them. The, the families of, of dead, tortured Iraqis, dead, tortured Afghanis, they don't see it as George Bush. They see it as the Americans. And that would be you. That would be me. That would be any American who's listening to the show. And by the way, our non-American listeners are a significant contingent of Aussie listeners. 
of New Zealanders, they have sent us emails privately acknowledging their appreciation of our intellectual honesty in talking about this stuff, in, in, in recognizing that we live in a global community now. And the Internet has made this global community very powerful and very influential. And as an American who uh, spent time growing up overseas, who has recently traveled overseas again, I certainly recognize that our actions have very profound effects on people around the world. And this is true in the case of the UFO uh, information embargo, that the U.S. government has had a very profound effect on other governments, that we like to lean on people and we like to put pressure on people because of our might, which is, you know, it's fading here. Our economic might is uh, seriously fading, and we haven't seen the worst of it yet. But we need to understand all these things if we want to live in the real world. And living in the real world is something that I think a lot of people are going to be thrust into in a way that they've never really lived in the real world in the next couple of years. And so, again, the question is, can we handle the truth about things? Well, sadly, I think the answer to that is only if it's the truths that we find convenient. If we have uncomfortable or inconvenient truths, we will go to extreme levels of denial. We will do things, we will defy gravity in order to remain in denial. And and honestly, I think that maybe there's a possibility that in the next few years, things will get to the point where people will have to wake up because ultimately, I believe that the human instinct for survival trumps everything else. Well, we're looking at that saying that it, things will happen that will force people to confront reality. And maybe that's the reason, for example, that the cracked side of the saucer, as they used to call it, gets the most attention because we know it's not real. We know these crazy contactees. We know these exopolitics people. We know most of these mediums are all these mediums. We know they're fake. We don't believe them. We're not going to confront that reality. But when we see the hard scientific evidence of strange things going on, you know what? I can't deal with that right now. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, will things change? Well, there's the difference between uh, what I suspect and what I hope. Because ultimately, I, and I guess with my friends and certainly with my honey, I have a, now a reputation of being sort of on the negative side of, of, the, of, the, of the equation, where I tend to be negative. But then I, I try to, to, to trend towards being hopeful. Because the alternative is just to curl up and die. I mean, really, uh, life is for the living. So I think to myself, well, you know, how bad can it get? And then I remember my heritage. You know, I have a, a Star of David tattooed on my arm in memory of my ancestors who died in Nazi Germany. And so I think about their lives. I think about my life. I think about the trials and tribulations, and the difficulties of my life. And then I think of their lives. And I think, well, okay, um, is anybody trying to come after me with a gun and shoot me in the head? No. Am I starving? Not yet. So, uh, you know, just from that point of view alone, I, and, and I have hot showers whenever I want them. It's little things in life. Until James. they cut off the water. It's more likely they're going to cut off the heat than the water. Where I live, they, it's, they're not likely to cut off the water. I, I don't live in a desert like you. Well, right here, <laughs> I live, of course. I live next to a river. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, uh, that's just a basic survival technique. Live where the water is. So everybody who lives in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, bless you all. 
you, you live in a freaking desert, you know, or next to one, whatever. The I mean, price you, know. you pay for saying, I don't want any more snow in my life. The snow is water. You see, you have to step back and look at the reality of things. Snow is water. So you're saying is you don't want water in your life. You're a water-based life form. Without well, I water, drink lots of bottled water. <laughs> Why are you, you're being so gene in this little segment here. So gene? So gene. You're so gene, gene. You're so gene. That's right. It's I a thought I was sojourn, but not a so gene. So gene, man. Yeah, it's a new brand of jeans uh, uh, infused with water. So gene. So gene. So David. We're I mean, some people look- come to me and say, hi, Gene. You know, it's like, okay, let's just be do silly. Do- hi, Gene. But do they say this to you while handing you a bar of soap? <laughs> we don't want to get into that. No, I kick myself yeah. very I'm almost obsessive-compulsive about that. You're almost obsessive-compulsive? Almost. Really? Yeah, I'm not okay. quite like that character on TV called Monk. Ever see that show? Uh, No. Okay. I, I know about it. Tony Galoob, right? Tony Shaloub. Shalub, Galoob. It's actually Shalab, but then nobody is perfect. You know, let's go back to our little corner of the world here. Yep. And I'm going to ask the question because we basically darted around it. Ladies and gentlemen, if someone came on TV tomorrow on a news station that you trust, any one of them, you make your own decision, whatever your political persuasion might be. They said, ladies and gentlemen, UFOs are real. There are aliens in our skies. We haven't a damn clue of how to deal with it because they are so far advanced our weaponry couldn't deal with it if they were hostile what do we do how are we going to handle this who's going to come on tv and say that nobody that's the problem nobody's ever going to say that they're afraid to say that right it'll never happen you know that i know that it's not going to happen disclosure is not going to happen and nothing's going to happen in 2012 except that you know if there's serious economic difficulties or other stress it'll be world-related issues that maybe could be predicted, but no astronomical event, no psychic event. You don't know that. Times of extreme stress might produce extreme events. And and, and that's something that we well, talk then about. Well, we raising the point is, do we generate those extreme events because of our well, stress? In other words, to run is an invitation to be chased. So we feel stressed, therefore the stress gets worse. And the more people feel stressed, the more stress there is. I think we're, we might learn some valuable lessons about that next year. I think there's a good possibility. I think that the human psyche is about to undergo, uh, certainly in this country, in the United States, a real rough, bumpy ride, a lot of turbulence. And so what could that end up producing in terms of sociological events that might facilitate a large-scale paranormal event? Well, I think that the probability is definitely there. And I think that... If that were to happen, it would very likely extend our understanding of this stuff. And we've said it, I know I've said it on the Paracast before, and I'll say it again, because we're coming to the close of yet another year. Speaking personally, I am more than willing to accept any and all possible explanations for the stuff I've seen, even if it's not what I think it is. You know, I think we all, uh, all of those who, who have had episodes... You know, we've had this this sort of objective thing happen to us, in many cases with other people. We also recognize that we are subjective beings, and that our own cultural conditioning plays into our acceptance, understanding, and processing of what we go through, in that we have a certain tendency to want things to mean certain things, but uh, in the end, I'll accept whatever 
registers to me as true. Or, or otherwise, be careful what you wish for. What we wish for is that you'll return next week for another episode of The Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. Paracast.